Um, before I get into it this morning, my wife grabbed me last week and told me I shouldn't be making um, services compete with each other, so I apologise. I was a bit grumpy. My dad did die three weeks ago, that's my excuse. So um, I'll pull that card out for my bad behaviour. But hey, um, we love every single one of you and every single person that's part of Revive, and it's such a crazy season that we're that we're living in right now, and so we, you know, we completely understand if people can't make it to church on Sundays and all that sort of stuff, we, we understand that's um, all sorts of stuff going on, but we're going to continue with our services for as long as we possibly can, and uh, if you can come, come. If you can't, that's cool. Watch online, but um, we're not going, we, we just don't believe that we should shut down the church just because there's some stupid virus out in our community, yeah? God's church does not stop, it keeps going, and in fact, that's what this whole series is about, my church, and it's all based on Matthew 16, 18, where it says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The first thing that we learned last week is that it's very personal to God, because he doesn't say, I'll build the church, or a church, he says, my church very, very personal to him. In fact, the church is described uh, in the book of Revelation as the bride of Christ that he's coming back for. How many people know that brides are usually pretty important to husbands? Come on, guys, I'm giving you an opportunity here. Oh, man, some of these guys are like, do I, do I put my hand up? I was trying to get you some brownie points for this afternoon. Um, and, and it's, so it's really, really personal to God. Speaking of Revelation, after next week, we're starting a series on the book of Revelation called Endgame. And it's going to be really good. Some of you are going to get really upset because we're going to debunk wrong belief systems that you have about what the book of Revelation is. But that's okay. We'll get into that later on. But it's my church. It's personal to God. God loves the church. In fact, the scripture says this, that the manifold wisdom of God will be made known through the church. Not, not through individuals, but through the church. The church is the assembly of believers. It's through the assembly of believers that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the earth around us. And, and hell has and does throw everything it can at the church, but his scripture says there that it can't overcome the church. Isn't that great? that all of hell is going to throw everything it can, but it can't overcome the church, the assembly of believers. And so today, as we go through the series, last week we talked about being a passionate church. This week I want to teach you a little bit of theology around the kind of church that we need to be and the kind of Christians that we need to be. And so we're going to look at the, at the book of Genesis this morning, and we're going to look at the tree of life and teach you some theology that maybe you've never heard before. What theology is, it's what we actually believe. It's the basic foundations. Theo means God, and ology means a study of God. And so it's an understanding about who God is, what his characteristics are, and who God is. is the char char those characteristics should also show itself in the church. Because I think it's so important that we get this teaching, because I think that, I believe that if we don't know what I'm about to teach you this morning, then we can get trapped into a brand of Christianity that's actually not Christianity. We can get stuck in a way of approaching God that is not a way to approach God. And whether you 
understand it or not, there are actually two ways that you can approach God, and the problem with them is that they're so similar at times that we can sometimes miss it. The only way I can kind of explain it is this, is I, I had been for a really busy season uh, uh, a few years ago. We just had our conference here at the church, and, and we had the weekend, and I was really, really tired, but on the Monday, I was flying out to Fiji for a week to do a series of meetings in Fiji, and, and, I, and I got onto the plane to go to Nandi, and, and, um, and I booked myself a window seat on purpose because I thought, I'm going to be so tired after that week, I'm just going to sleep for three hours all the way to Nandi. And I got onto the plane and I sat down and it's, you know, a three and th- three aisle, then three. And I was sitting there and the guy was in the aisle seat and the middle seat was vacant and I'm like, praise God. How many, if you've ever traveled on a plane before, having a seat empty beside you is like, it's like heaven. You can put your stuff there, you can spread out, you're not having to fight with the armrest or the other person's elbow. And, and, and the plane is loading up, and it's, and it's basically just about completely loaded. Like, it's getting, you know, you watch people come on, and the whole time I'm watching people come on, my prayer life, as the seat stays empty, my prayer life is increasing, my faith in God is increasing, and then all of a sudden, uh, there's this person that got onto the plane, and they were the kind of person that you hear them before you can see them. And because we're going to Fiji, they're obviously going there on holiday, and so they're pretty hyped, and you could hear them before you could see them. The next minute, she's high-fiving the, the ear hostess, and she's pretty pumped that she's going to Fiji for a holiday, right? And I'm at that moment, my prayer life just goes through the roof. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Thank you, God, that you're for me and not against me. Thank you that you want to keep this seat empty. And, and sure enough, she sat in that seat, and, um, and I'm just like, it's all right, I'll just go to sleep, I'll ignore her, and, and I'm trying to, to get myself sorted out and get to sleep, or at least fake sleep, because, you know, the, the food had come around, the drinks trolleys come around, and she got herself a drink, and, and I'm thinking, right, now's my chance, I've eaten, I Let's, let's at least fake sleep so she doesn't ask me the question that I always get asked. What do you do for a living? And at that time as a pastor, you've got to understand, you either lie or you tell the truth. Sometimes, because I just, I'm just being honest, sometimes I'm just not in the mood of having the conversation because people treat you weird. I just tell people I'm in sales because I kind of am. <laughs> and I said to her, uh, actually... I, I, well, she kind of elbowed me and asked me what I do for a job, and she's got her, her beer in her hand, and it was like 9.30 in the morning flight, so she's pretty pumped about her holiday, and um, she goes, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I, I pastor a church, and she goes, oh, I hate Christians, and I said to her, I hate Christians too, that's why I pastor a different kind of church, and then she goes, yeah, well, what would your God say about this, and holds her drink out? in front of me, and I said, well, God doesn't even think about the drink. God only thinks about you. He's not interested in what you're drinking. He's interested in who you are as a person. And I went on in this conversation with her, and I told her what I'm about to tell you, that Christianity actually has a branding problem because there are two kinds of approaches to God, and if you get involved in the wrong one, then the branding is not good. 
And it's actually not about the church you are in, it's about the mindset that you carry. And if you buy into the wrong approach to God, you will hate church, you will hate Christianity, and you will hate God. You see, religion will turn you off God, and it will turn everybody else off God as well. And so what needs to be our approach to God? What is going to be my filter that I filter everything through or my mindset? Or can I go a step further and say, what is going to be my worldview as we go after God? We're going to look at it in the book of Genesis because the first story in the Bible is creation. And can I suggest to you that the first story of your life is that you're created as well, that you have a beginning Then there's this second story in the book of Genesis, which we're going to look at in a minute. And the second story, I think, is the second story on purpose because the first story is about creation, but the second story is all about a choice between two trees. And can I suggest to you that your first story of your life is that you're created, and the second story of your life is also that you have a choice to follow or not to follow. And so we pick it up here in in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, And it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, this is where we've got the two choices come in, yeah? There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice here, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not about a good tree and a bad tree. It's not about a God tree and a sin tree, because it says it's the knowledge of good and evil. It's not a bad tree, because it's the knowledge of good too, but it's two choices, and whichever tree you eat from, you will either choose to live your life through the way of life or through the knowledge of right and wrong. The story goes on and Verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. That word eat in the Hebrew means to ingest or to consume, for it to actually become part of you, for it to actually become your worldview, what you filter things through. You, he's saying here that you can eat of anything in ingest anything at all that you want in the garden, just not that one because what you consume or what you take on board actually becomes what you filter your world view through. And he says, I just don't want you to consume the knowledge of good and evil because I don't want that to become your filter for your world view. And if you eat of it, you will surely die. And he's not talking about a physical death, He's talking about you will surely die and that you will hate Christianity, you will hate the church, you will hate God because that's what religion does. And now we enter into the third story of the Bible and can I suggest to you that this is also the third story of your life. There's creation, there's two choices and then there's an enemy that is trying to get you to make the wrong choice. And he turns up on the scene in chapter 3 and he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did 
God really say? It's the same way that he uh, gets at us today. Because if he can get you to doubt God's word, he can get you to doubt God. And with all the confusion that there is in our world right now, we're going to be a church that teaches, preaches, and proclaims and believes the word of God because that's who we are. We don't doubt it. We believe it. Don't let him cause you to doubt what God has said. Did God really say? And he goes on and says, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. In fact, God didn't say don't touch it. He just said don't eat it. He then says to her, you will not surely die. You don't understand, the enemy always lies. That's all he has. There's a reason why he's called the father of lies, because all he does is lie. And the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, he's saying to her right here, it's not going to make you worse, it's actually going to make you better better if you eat from this. Are you with me today? You see, I want you to see something here before we go on any further. He's not appealing to her sin nature. He's not saying to her, come on, be a bad girl, be a bad girl, eat from the tree. Be a bad girl. No, he's saying, be a good girl, you'll be like God. Don't you want to be like God? After all, you want to be God? He's appealing to her godliness or her wanting to be godly. Are you, are you getting me today? You can be like God and you can be a person that needs right or wrong. He's appealing to her godliness, not to her sin nature. And this is why a lot of people in the pursuit of godliness can still miss it, like the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees knew Scripture better than anyone, but they couldn't find Jesus in it. Come on, this is why this is such a dangerous thing and we've got to understand. In verse 6 it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took, and, took some and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then I want you to watch what happens because this, this is how you know what tree you're eating from. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, loss of innocence. All of a sudden, they're seeing themselves for who they really are. And they realize they were naked. Now shame kicks in. Loss of innocence and shame. And that's what religion does to you. It destroys your innocence and it puts shame on you because it puts all these demands on you that are not from God. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Let me just quickly break down, because we've got a lot to get through this morning. Let me quickly break down four ways that the two trees are different. Are you with me? Ready for this? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says this, do more to get God. If you, if you do more, if you pray more, if you read your Bible more, if you serve more, if you um, tithe more, if you give more, in fact, if you do all those things, you become godlier. If you pray more, read your Bible more, serve more, you tick your boxes and you do all the list of things that you should do as Christians, you actually become godlier. 
that's not true. You don't. I'm not saying that those things are bad, but when the motivation is these are a list of things that I've got to do so that I can be godly, you're, you're now slipping into a religious works process where I'm now godlier because I've done all this work to get close to him. That's not relationship, that's religion. That's religion. Whereas the tree of life says this, it says that you need to receive what Jesus already did. Jesus paid for it all. You don't have to earn anything. In fact, there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation because it's a free gift from heaven. And, I, and I'm here to tell you today because I've grown up in church my whole life that some of the meanest Christians I have ever met are the ones that know their Bible inside out. They're just mean. Like the Pharisees, just mean. Well, you shouldn't do that because the Bible says, and you shouldn't do this. They're just mean. You, you've met those people, haven't you? Not in this church, but you've met those people. They're godlier than God is. But you don't earn salvation. It's a free gift from God. You receive it. You don't do more. You just receive what he's already done. The tree of knowledge of good and evil says you've got to work for it. The tree of life says just receive what he's already done. And the Pharisees were some of the meanest Christians that you could find. Listen to this. And John 5, 39 to 40, it says, You diligently studied the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What, what is he saying here to them? He says, you, you, you weren't supposed to learn the Scriptures. You were meant to find the person behind the Scriptures. You were meant to find me and have life, but you refuse to find me and have life because you're full of the knowledge of good and evil, but you're not eating from the tree of life. See, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says that try to get God's approval. Get God's approval because he's mad at you. God's constantly mad at you. He's waiting for you. This is, this is what I believed as I grew up. Not because of my parents, it's just something that I brought into. Eating from the wrong tree. I thought that every time I did something wrong, God was ready to whack me over the head with a baseball bat. I remember one, one time trying to fix my, my, um, my tape deck. Remember those tape decks? Come on, can I, get a, can I get some children from the 80s or something supporting me here? Tape decks. And my tape deck wasn't working, so it was a Sunday, so I thought I'll pull it apart and I'll fix it. And I didn't know what I was doing, so I just made it worse. But I literally believed that the reason why I got worse is because God punished me because I did it on the Sabbath. Some people's view of God is that he's always mad and waiting for opportunity to punish you. Here's the problem with that. Your view of God will determine what your relationship with God will look like. How you perceive him will be how you receive him how you res and how you respond to him. And to have the right mindset, you have to have the right mindset against a wrong worldview because the world thinks God's angry. The world thinks that God just wants to punish him. I've seen it. I've seen people, unsaved people, come into our car park that people invited to church, and I've heard them say things like, oh, waiting for God to strike me with lightning. 
You're just in the car park, bro, not in his presence. But they literally think God is angry and mad all the time. And the sad thing is there are Christians that live like that. You make a mistake and you think, oh, well, I'm just going to have to live with the punishment now because that's, you know, I made my bed, now I've got to sleep in it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this, is that when you ask for forgiveness, he forgives you of your sin and he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it no more and that his grace is more than enough for you and that his mercy endures forever. You don't have to live with the consequences of your stupid decisions. you just got to repent, turn in the right direction, and allow him to come and heal you. This is not an angry God. If you think God is always mad at you, then you have the wrong mindset. And guess what? You're eating from the wrong tree. The tree of life says this, Receive God's love for me. For God so loved the world. He loves me. He loves you. In fact, before you even knew him, he was already in love with you. And here's the crazy thing about God. He knows your sin life better than you know it. And he still wants to be in relationship with you. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is how he demonstrates his love for us. That while you were still sinners, Christ died for us, even before you knew him, even while you were sinning, even his love was demonstrated on the cross. He's proven to you that he loves you, that he's not mad at you, that he's not looking to punish you. He just wants to be in relationship with you. But if you're eating from the wrong tree, you're going to think God's always mad and God's always angry. But when you eat from the tree of life, you realize that he loved me. And before I even knew him, with all my sin and everything, he still loved me enough to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus didn't get there lying down with the nail about to go into his hand and go, well, hold on a sec. Before I get crucified, I just want to check that people love me. He went ahead with it in spite of the spitting and the swearing and the abuse because he loves you and he loves me. He loves you so much. And in Hebrews, it says this, that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. What was the joy? The joy was you. The joy was you. The joy was that he'd have a relationship with you for the joy set before him. What kept Jesus up on the cross? You. You kept him up on the cross because he knew that this was the way to get back in relationship with you. He loves you. He's not angry with you. He loves you, and that's why I love him so much, because he never holds anything against me, but he loved me before I even knew him. And when you have a worldview that understands that God loves me in spite of all my stuff and all my problems, and God loves me, it changes how you do life. It changes how your relationship with him is. Everything changes about your Christianity because you know you're loved. And when you make a mistake, you're still loved. And when you stuff up majorly, you're still loved. And it changes the way that you live, your Christianity. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil focuses on the external. Do the right thing, wear the right clothes, look the right way, behave the right way. Everything's external. It's all about everything on the outside, where the tree of life focuses on the internal. 
See, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, they didn't have anything in them. They had the laws written on a tablet. And they're trying to follow these laws that are written on an external thing, an external thing putting constraints on how they live, putting constraints to control their behavior. But in the New Testament, we are transformed in our hearts and no longer are the laws written on an external constraint controlling behavior. But Jesus said, I'm not longer going to teach you what is right and wrong externally. I'm going to write the laws on your hearts so that you live in such a way that you don't have to do it, but you live in such a way that you want to do it. It's a different motivation. Let me put it this way. We can control behavior without changing the heart. Parents, listen to me when I say this. You can control their behavior with external constraints while they live in your house, but if you haven't touched the heart when they leave your house, and those external constraints are no longer around them, and they're making their own rules, their behavior will change. Why? Because so much of our parenting focuses too much on right behavior instead of focusing on right heart. Are you with me? Don't do this. Don't do that. We can make them behave but when they get a choice to do it on their own, a lot of the time they're going to choose something else. Why? Because we can control the ex because we're controlling the external without ever touching the internal. Every reaction or every response that somebody does is because of something that's triggered in their hearts. Jesus said murder and everything comes from where? The heart. And in our parenting, so often we can focus on their behavior instead of trying to work out where that behavior's come from and change the heart. Because external constraints don't work. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Samuel 1, 16 to 7, Samuel 16, 1 Samuel, oh man, 16 verse 7 says, the Lord does not look at the things a man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil will try and control external behavior, whereas the tree of the life tries to transform an internal heart. Come on, are you with me? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil obeys out of duty. Obey because we have to and we don't want to go to hell. Yes? Fine, I'll turn up to church. Fine, I'll do all that because I don't want to go to hell. I was like that. If you're, if you're only doing it out of duty, you'll be mean. You will, you'll be mean. I've experienced that here in the church. I can remember yeah, a few years ago, we were starting to really reach a whole lot of young people in our community and, and some of them were a little bit naughty and snuck out to the edge of the car park and they're having a little bit of wacky-dacky out in the car park, and I can remember parent, not from our church, but other parents that were dropping their kids off here, 
to our program, because their church didn't have one, ringing me up. A school principal rang me up and said, did you know, did you know that there are kids smoking dope on the edge of the car park? And I'm like, yes, I did. Isn't it awesome? Because they need Jesus. Isn't it awesome that they feel like they're allowed to come along even though they've got all their stuff and find Jesus? You know what that school principal did? Went around telling every parent in their school, don't send your kids along to that youth ministry. It's mean. It's not God. That's mean. Jesus ignored the Pharisees and he ate with the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. It's mean. It's me. Where else are those guys going to find Christ if we kick them out because they've got a bit of a wacky-dacky problem? Yes, we need to put some things in place and make sure that it's a safe environment, and we were always working on that. But it's just mean to go, you're not going to go along there anymore because there's some, there's some bad kids there. That's eating from the knowledge of the good and evil, not from the knowledge of life. The knowledge of life says, hey, God is for you. Let's get those guys saved. Let's see their lives turned around. It's not focused on the external behavior. It's focused on internal transformation. You just become mean when you operate out of duty. You'll hate it. And it'll be like, oh, my gosh, another Sunday. You'll hate it. Whereas the tree of life is you obey out of delight. You obey out of a desire to do it because you want to. I, I've heard some pastors, and it really irks me in, in, in ministry and that, and get to give some pastors, and they say things like, 23 years ago, I surrendered to the ministry. I had no choice. God made me do it, and I surrendered to the ministry. I can't believe God asked me to do this. When I look at me, I wouldn't ask me to do it. I still wouldn't ask me to do this because I know my faults and I know my failings. I, I, it's, it's a horrendous, forced, he put my arm up my back and now I'm pastoring. No, I get to do this. I get to, it's, it's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I have to treat it. No, we get to, it's a delight. It's a delight. I can't believe he picked me. It's the wrong mindset to go, I had to do this. It's the wrong mindset. And I'm determined that we're going to be a tree that eats from the, we're going to be a church, not a tree, a church that eats from the tree of life. And I'm not saying that we, that we don't obey God. We do. 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is, for this love, this is love for God to keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Why are they not burdensome? Because we do it out of delight. We do it because we love him. We do it because we know that he loves us. Commands can be what you want to do rather than what you have to do. So let me give you three quick things that we need to do if we're going to shift our mindset from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Good, uh, knowledge of good and evil and shift and start living our mindsets through the tree of life, the first thing you've got to do is you, you've got to fall in love with Jesus. How do I fall in love with Jesus? Just by thinking about him. Thinking about him. When I was falling in love with Trinity when we were dating, I thought about her all the time. I still think about her all the time. Think about who he is. Think about what he has done. 
And, and he's more than your God. He's your friend that's, that's closer than a brother. He knows how many hairs you have on your head, some of you more than others. He knows when you mess up, and he doesn't condemn me, but he shows me a way out. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You know, for years, I read that verse, eating out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you know how I read that? Read that? If you love me, you'll prove it. If you love me, you'll prove it. Prove to me that you love me by your behavior. Prove it to me. Prove it to me. But if we fall in love with him, then our desire will be for it. And it becomes a delight and not a duty. And so my question to you this morning is, when you look at that verse, which side of the comma do you live on? Do you live on the love side of the comma or the obey side of the comma? Come on. Do you live on the love side of the comma where I, I just delight in doing this? It's not a burdensome for me because I love him and he loves me? Or do you live on the, oh, I have to do this, on the obey side of the comma? 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us to do what is good, to do what is right. It's not forced it's, you're not forced into it. It's something that you want to do. There are things that I do because I love God, and there are things that I don't do because I love God. Why? Because His love compels me. If all I have is external constraints controlling my behavior, it would be hard work. Craig, don't commit adultery. All right. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. There's a lot of women out there. Plenty of fish in the sea. If it was about external constraints, it would be hard. It would be hard work to not do that. Or I could fall in love with the most beautiful woman on the face of the planet and not even think about anyone else. Why? Because Trinity is awesome. And how many people know that was a good thing to say in church? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's hard if you don't love the person you're with, but it's not hard when you're deeply in love with your, with your wife or your husband. Come on. Listen to this. I can fulfill the commands of the Bible better by falling in love with God than by trying to obey everything. I can fulfill the commands of the Bible better by falling in love with God rather than trying to obey everything. First thing we've got to do is fall in love with God. The second thing we've got to do, if I can get Maddie up, is respond to sin with life. Respond to sin with life. Here's the deal. People sin and you sin. And when it happens, how are you going to respond? How are you going to react? Because how you respond tells me which tree you're eating from. How you respond tells me which tree you're eating from. I'm not saying you can't have a standard. You can have a standard. Just respond right. Because I don't know about you, but it's people's response that grieves me. When I look at social media and Facebook and stuff like that, and I look at some of the stuff that Christians are saying, I, it, yeah, it grieves me. I just want to say something, but then I'll just be joining the stupidity. 
can, can, we, can we be a church? You know, it's like people are like, you know, I hear you think that. <laughs> yeah, read that. Yeah. It's like, shut up. Let's not, let's not be a church that do that to people. We don't respond that way. And you know why we don't respond that way? Because that's not how God responds to us when we stuff up. That's not how God responds to me when I make a mistake. He doesn't go on social media and let everybody know about it. He loves us. He shows us mercy and grace. John 3, 17, in the message, I love how it puts it. It says this, God did not go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. You see, all of Jesus' interactions were like this. With the woman caught in adultery, what does he say to the crowd that want to stone her, even though the law said that she should be? He says, he who was without sin cast the first stone. Then he starts writing on the ground. We don't know what he writes on the ground. I'm assuming that he's writing down all their sins. One by one, they all walk away. And then Jesus says to her next, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've all gone. And you know what his response is? Well, I don't accuse you either. Now go and live a life free from sin. Now go and live a life free from sin and leave the sin life that you're in. You see, I understand here with Jesus, there was truth where he said, hey, go and don't sin anymore. There was truth, but there was also no accusation. Notice what came first. I don't accuse you either. Now go and leave your life of sin. Grace first, followed by truth. Grace first, followed by truth. Grace first, followed by truth. Why? Because grace invites you to be free, but truth sets you free. You see, Jesus came to set me free, not to make me sorry. Oh, see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil will tell you you should be sorry, you should be ashamed. You should be beating yourself up. Jesus did not come to make me sorry. He came to make me free. Free. Grace invites you to be free. Truth sets you free. Grace first. I'd rather err on the side of grace every single day of the week than err on the side of truth. Come on. We need to be a church that came, helps people get free from their sin not points out people's sin to them. We're going to be a church that says, hey, come on in and hear the words of life. We're not going to judge people before they even get in the room. That's not who we're going to be. We're going to be a church that eats from the tree of life. And third and lastly is guard your heart from going back. <laughs> you see, what I found in life is that you can be living in the tree of life, but there's always a vine coming from the other tree that dangles in front of you going, here I am. Here's the knowledge of good and evil. And I, I know in my own life, and I certainly see it in Christians' lives, that we swing back and forth. 
It's amazing how much we swing to the knowledge of good and evil when it's somebody else and we want to have a pot shot at them about how they're living their lives, but we quite easily swing back to the tree of life when it comes to our mistakes. We just swing. We swing. I've watched Christians swing back and forth their whole lives. What started off as something beautiful and precious has become wearing. And I can suggest to you, if this has become wearing to you, you've swung to the wrong tree and you've got the wrong worldview. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, human history is a long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. What are we going to do? We aren't going to point out people's sin. We're going to help people get free from their sin. We're not going to point out people's sin. We're going to help people get free from their sin. We're going to be a church that lives in the tree of life. Why? Because Gallup did a poll about people's mental health over the last two years with COVID and everything else. And what their poll found is that regardless of age and regardless of race, that every single age bracket, every single race, every single ethnicity, every single one on the face of the planet had all had a decline in their mental health. Every single one of them, except for one bracket, one bracket had improved their mental health. You know what bracket that was? People that regularly went to church. Their mental health increased. Why? Because John 5, uh, 1 John 5.12 says, He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. They have the knowledge of good and evil when they live under this condemnation of shame and loss of innocence and religion. But he who has life, he who has the Son, he who has a relationship and not religion, he who eats from the tree of life has life. And we're going to be a church that eats from the tree of life. We're not going to swing backward and forward. We're going to live and we're going to eat in the tree of life. And maybe you're here today and you realize, man, my Christian walk, mine has been this too, where I've swung between the two trees towards yourself and towards others. And you're like, man, I, I, want, to, I want to break away. I want to break away from the knowledge of, the, of good and evil. I just want to eat from the tree of life. Just everyone close your eyes right now in this place. And you're like, man, would you pray for me that I'll be able to swing over to the tree? I want to be someone who eats, lives out of the tree of life, not out of the tree of the good of knowledge, but I want to be somebody that eats out of the tree of life. If that's you here today, and you're like, would you pray for me that I'll be somebody that constantly lives in and eats out of the tree of life? I want to be that kind of Christian. That's the Christian that the world wants to see. Two approaches, one that's religion and one that's life. If that's you here today and you're like, man, would you pray for me that I'll be someone that lives out of the tree of life? Lift your hand up right now across this place. Awesome. Father, you see hands that are lifted right now. God, I pray for those that maybe 
have been living in the wrong tree and I just break off the condemnation and I break off the shame and I break off the guilt and I break off the spiritual manipulation that has happened to them over the years of their life, even by pastors and leaders and churches. We break all of that off their life and we release them into the tree of life, that they would eat of it, that they would live in it and that they would see a delight come to their lives when it comes to God, when it comes to people, when it comes to church, when it comes to reading their word, when it comes to prayer, that will just come from this place of life, life, life. He who has the Son has life. And we release that right now in Jesus' name upon them. May we be a church that's reputation in the community is one of life. Life, life, life. Father, we thank you. Help us as we go about this week that we'll be people that choose to eat from the right tree from this day onwards. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you so much for coming along this morning. I hope that has helped you and hopefully shifted your mindset and shifted your worldview and your relationship with God. We'd love you to stick around and and for the little bit that we've got, I went over time again, um, for the little bit that we've got um, before the next service and have coffee and all that sort of stuff, God bless you. Have a great, great week. And we'll see you here next week where we're going to talk about pursuing all that God has. And uh, that's the kind of church that God wants, one that pursues all that he has. But God bless you. Have a great week. And we'll see you on Sunday.